So, we, today we come to the end of the book of Colossians. I think all of them, the sermons are, have been recorded, so I'll make sure that they're actually on the church website. So if you want to listen to some of those that you've missed, you should still be able to do that. Today, we come to the close, and it's appropriate, as we, as we look at that, that we just do a very brief recap. Colossians, the place that, or Colossi, the town that he's never visited, Paul's a thousand miles away, and he writes this letter. And he's writing for a purpose of correcting some false teaching that is going on in that church. His heart is enormous towards people he's never met. And there's something in there for each one of us. How is your heart today for even people that you have met? let alone those that you don't know. We're going to look at prayer today as part of um, the closing routine, part of the closing part of the letter. But to address the false teaching in that church, Paul exalted Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. Everything that we actually need to understand is central to him. If you understand anything about Jesus and you understand the gospel, then as I said the other week, you will know that God loves you. Exactly where you are now. And that he actually takes each one of us at our starting point and he says, you know what, if you do life my way, then actually life will be so much better for you. Of course, we always have the battle and that there's no... There's no um, magic solution to going through this life without each one of us knowing trouble. But even in the trouble, you can learn to know his love and his peace. And if this world was it, well then it's a really, it's not quite enough, you know. But of course this world isn't it. And Paul and his team, and he's going, to, he's going to name the team, Paul and his team live their lives as examples to you and I. And what a challenge it is today as we draw it all to a close. is exalted Jesus, the creator of everything. The planets, the mysteries that we are still un, um, discovering, all down to Jesus, and he brings that Right into everyday life. He's addressed last week family life. What is it between a husband and a wife? What is it to bring a child up? What is it if you were an employer and you're an employee? What sort of relationships does the gospel, does Jesus have in, in right the nitty gritty of life? And so as we look at it now, put the, put the scripture for me please Graham. We're going to get a load of names and if Matt was here, not in holiday it with Matt reading the names out so I don't want any laughing or not too much be gentle yes good praise the Lord look at the command now chapter 4 devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful do you do you devote yourself to prayer there's no hiding place sometimes in, in, in uh, God's word Devote, I, you know, I, I devote myself to some things, I, de- I devote my life to my gorgeous wife. 
Do I devote my life to prayer? How much prayer is going on in my life? How much prayer is going on in your life? And, you know, as I go through, through the day, I try and involve Jesus all the time. I'm having a conversation with him and asking him his opinion and everything. And then, do you know what? For no reason at all, my mind goes off on something else. And I think, where did that come from? How did that get in my head? And I have to learn to bring those thoughts back under, right, back to Jesus, back to Jesus. It's a lifestyle that the more you practice, the actual easier it becomes. Devoting yourselves to prayer. In chapter 1 of this letter, he told them that he was praying for them and that they would know God's will and God's blessing and God's direction and all these things. And he's never even met them. He doesn't, he's not, he couldn't tell one face in that, in that congregation and yet he is praying for them. I've got to say this, as a church we don't do enough praying. As individuals... It's not just individuals, it's actually corporate prayer. On a prayer meeting, and this isn't having a pop at anyone, on a prayer meeting, this place should be as busy as it is today. That's what that says. Devoting yourself to prayer. There is something that God wants us to do, which involves praying for him to be active in our everyday lives. You cannot get away from that. And why would we want to get away from something? Look, being watchful and thankful. We've covered thankfulness so many times in Bible studies. Because you you and I have so much to be thankful for. So much. And it is so easy to develop... I think you're going to be a preacher. Without a microphone. Come on. It is so easy to develop the wrong attitude and being thankful stops that happening. It nullifies it straight away. Can you find something to be thankful for today? Good. Because at the end, some of you can come up then and tell us. How about that? Little trapdoor, but they're used to me anyway. Oh. (laughs) Look what he asked them to do, look. And pray for us too. Paul wants prayer. Now he's in prison. He's under arrest, possibly facing the death penalty, and he's asking for for prayer. Is he not asking for to be released? Let me tell you, if I was in prison and I was writing to this church, you can guarantee I'd sneak that in. Please pray that I get out of here. Brackets quickly. What does he pray for? That God may open a door. Open a door for our message. Do you know you've got a message that this world so desperately needs to hear? And he won't, it won't get out there unless he opens the door. Do you know the problem with Christians, or one of the problems with Christians, I haven't got all day so I can't give you them all, But one of the problems I see with Christians is we force people to hear the gospel. We we see a little chink in someone's armour, they're just being polite, and we download everything. You've done it. 
I've done it loads of times. In fact, I actually employed people to listen to me, give them the gospel. That's not really biblical and definitely not good for business. But let's be polite. Let's earn the right to tell them when they're ready to hear and when it's God opening people's ears. That's exactly what Kay happened the other day. We're actually... Can I tell you what I believe? A God-ordained moment. And this is what we're going to do. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. What's the mystery of Christ? It's this. That he left heaven. That he came to earth. That he took on flesh. That he then went to the cross. Took on my sin died in my place, rose again, that I may live for eternity. What a message. What a privilege to be able to tell a hurting world that actually God, God isn't some distant force out in outer space. He's actually right in the nitty-gritty. He's right in Graham's life where a conversation from someone he's not had 18 months ago can say, you know what, I can get some labels. He's writing as some guy going around Tesco giving out a pen with, with the words, For God so loved the world. Is that your God? Is he that close in your life? Because he wants to be. He really wants to be. And there he is. He identifies where he is. He's in chains. Do you know the funny thing is, if you'd ask the Roman government, Paul, right, you go him under house arrest. He ain't under. He's not a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of Jesus. Think about it. He's a prisoner for Jesus. If Jesus Christ wanted Paul out of prison, he'd be out of prison. Do you get that? Think about Acts, where Peter is under arrest, and God sends an angel. Do you think he's only got one angel? All the angels busy. He frees Peter. He has to wake him up. To get him out, to come out. There's a prayer meeting going on in in John Mark's mother's house. And they actually, they go and answer the door. They're praying for Peter. And Peter's outside the door. Do they let him in? No. Ever pray for something not really believing it's going to happen? Yes, you have. Ever been surprised when actually God hears your prayers? Yes. Look. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The trouble is, you know, sometimes we don't proclaim it clearly. Sometimes it's too much of man and not enough about what he is. And what about this? This applies to everyone in this room. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. What's an outsider? Somebody outside the brethren. Someone outside the assembly. The church. Everything we do, you know, before people listen to any words we give, they see how you behave. They look at your life and say, do you walk the talk? And it grieves me that so many Christians don't walk the talk. And then the very words that we proclaim, they're just words. What a responsibility. Make the most of every opportunity. And that's what... Kay was sharing with me last night and this and this morning. There was an opportunity. You don't need to force it. You need to pray for them and actually recognise them.
Sometimes, you know, giving the gospel is just habit. It should just flow naturally. It should just be something that we do as second nature. If it's alive in here, and there are people out there that want to hear it. There really are people that want to know why you have this hope within you. Move on, Graham, please. We'll get to the names. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Do you know there are just some people it's nice to be around? Do you know them? Look at me if you come to this church, because you must know one. (laughs) Do you know it? To be around people who build you up, who actually compliment you, who recognise what you're doing, who you love. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. But actually there are just some people it's nice to be around. Their conversation is what draws us to people like that. Look, seasoned with salt. What does salt do? And don't say blood pressure, Bev. (laughs) Thinking spiritual now. What does salt do? It preserves. Right, okay. One of the things that salt does is it preserves. Our conversation can be like a preservative in society. What else does salt do? Adds flavour. Enhances flavour. It draws it out, doesn't it? Our conversation can enhance flavour in, in people's lives. Do you know the other thing it does? It disinfects. It, it disinfects. It neutralises infection. Is that how your conversation is? It's good to be around people that can speak with grace and salt in the, in the words. And there we are, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You'll only know some of the answers if you put the work in and get to, get to understand what actually happens. But everyone who knows Jesus has a testimony. You're not all theologians, but if you know the reality of him, you can tell anyone. No, no one can undermine your testimony. You can turn around and say, I haven't got all the answers, but this much I know. I used to be like that, now I'm like this. And it's all down to him. And that's powerful. Alright, we start now. There are eight names, plus two at the end. The eight people that Paul writes. Tychius. That's not bad, is it? To his mates, it's Titius. Titius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. What a testimony. You might not get your head around his name, but what a testimony about this character. He appears five times in Scripture. Five times he's working with Paul. He's not a front runner as such. Although he is a replacement pastor for Titus and Timothy, he appears in their letters. But Titus is bringing this letter from Paul, 1,300 miles away, to the church at Colossae. If you'd have said to him, 2,000 years later, people are going to be studying this letter, he would have had no comprehension about what he was doing. Can you think about travelling 1,300 miles in that culture? 
what a friendship he must be with Paul. Where Paul can turn round to him from prison and say, just nip over there and take this letter. And while you're doing it, take the Ephesians a letter as well. And 2,000 years later, Titus, people are going to be studying what we're writing. Because it's not me writing, it's the Holy Spirit writing through me. And this letter is so important, I want you to travel maybe two months. Walking, distance, travelling twice overseas to bring a letter to a church that Paul has never met. Now that is commitment. Do you get that? That's an example to everyone. What was his qualifications? This isn't just any friend. He's a dear brother. A dear brother sticks through alongside people through thick and thin. A faithful minister. As I say, he was down as a um, temporary pastor for Titus and for Timothy. And then this is all of us. A servant of the Lord. A servant of the Lord. You don't work for man. You don't work for anyone other than Jesus. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Really? And Paul is encouraging them from prison. How about if I throw this out? When was the last time you encouraged anybody else? When was the last time? Being around people who bring encouragement, they're easy to be around. They're just so great. And yet everyone in this room can do it. We can all encourage each other. The, the world can batter you and we all need a little friendly arm round a shoulder, a prayer, an offer of help, a word from the Lord. We can all do it, you know. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. I love the name Onesimus. I actually think if I had a son, we're not, but if I had another son, I'd call him Onesimus, just for the crack. <laughs> Isn't it a great name? Poor lad. Look, we named the last one after Michael Knight, a night rider, so anything's possible. He gets through life. Wansimus. Anyone know who Wansimus is? Do you know who he is? Go on. He was the slave. He's the runaway slave of who, Paul? Philemon. Yeah, you did. You did, you did very well. Yeah. But you were on the right track, and thank you. He is the runaway slave of some character called Philemon, who is the author, or the, the, the letter is addressed to him. Onesimus, a slave, runaway, faces the death penalty. In that day, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. One of the professions of that day was slave hunter. I don't know how they did it because there's no photographs. But anyway, you had to go out looking for these slaves. When you caught the runaway slave, you brought him back to the owner and as an example to the other slaves, you put him to death. 
That was your right. It was your property. He'd run away so you could kill him. Onesimus runs away and guess who he finds? Paul. Well, he just finds Jesus. It's always a Sunday school answer. But you're right, he finds Paul. Paul's in prison. Somehow, God ordains their past that cross and Onesimus becomes a Christian. Do you know there was a time in your life and my life when we were running away? That we actually ran away from God. And we were a slave to sin. And then one day, God set you free. One day, God gave you and I a different calling, a different title. And that's what Paul does. He knows he's a runaway slave, but now he says he's a dear brother. He's gone from slavery to brotherhood. That's the gospel. And just to clarify things, so that Wansimus doesn't have a hard time back in church, he says this, he's one of you. He's one of you. Just like you. Okay, let's... Application. What happens if someone has run away from church, run away from God, and then one day they decide to come back to church, back to God? Do we treat them like one of us? Or do we remember the past and say, really, why did you run away? It's a great lesson. The door is always open. The love of God reaches beyond the runaway. Now he's going back. He doesn't know the future, but he's trusting that God will keep him alive. My fellow prisoner, him, sends you his greetings. Him was there when the riot in Ephesus happened. This character, you know what? One of the heroes of heaven. He's been locked up with Paul a couple of times. He's been shipwrecked a couple of times. He stood by his side for the furtherance of the gospel. An amazing story. You need to look at that in the book of Acts. You see his name pop up. And each time it pops up, there's trouble. He's going through difficult times. And yet, here he is, coming back with the good news. He's a prisoner with Paul. He sends you his greetings. And what about Mark? Anyone know who Mark is? Well, we've got that bit. (laughs) What did Mark do? Come on, wake up. What does Mark do? Right, okay, he lets Paul down. On the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas go out, right, they're going out taking the good news. Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, goes with them. Halfway through the missionary journey, John Mark bottles it and says, this is harder than I thought it was, I'm going home. So he goes home. His name pops up again on the second missionary journey, And then Barnabas says, I know what we'll do. We'll take John Mark along again. And Paul says, you're joking. He let us down. You don't want people that let you down around you, do you? That's worse than church. That was a joke. 
Kay got it. <laughs> Lighten up, come on. They have such an argument that Paul and Barnabas, their friendship splits. Barnabas takes Mark with him on a missionary journey. Paul takes Silas. And they go their separate ways. We do know from Peter that Peter teams up with Mark at some point and he begins to put into, he begins to put into his life. And he begins to educate him. And this is a guy who failed and goes on to write one of the Gospels. There's only four writers. This is one of them. Even when you fail, God hasn't finished with you. I like that. I really like that. That actually God of a second chance. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Isn't that brutal? This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. I wonder whether Peter, when he met Mark, said, you think you messed up? You should see some of the stuff I've done. Because sometimes we forget some of the stuff we've done. John Mark. You've received instructions about him, him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. In other words, you might also have known that there was a time when I didn't get on with him, but now actually he's very dear to me. And he does. There is, there is evidence in Timothy's letters that John Mark is back in Paul's close circle. There's no evidence actually that Barnabas and Paul ever get back together again. I assume they do. But you know what? Sometimes, and this, this is painful, sometimes we fall out. You and I can sometimes fall out. It's not, it's not something that's ever pleasant. But even when we fall out, sometimes we can get back together again. And whatever happens, God is still able to use all of us. And not write us off. Next one, please. Imagine being called Jesus. That's a tough one to live up to, isn't it? So Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends you his greetings. Interesting. That's the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. Just one line, and yet he's significant in Paul's life. He's there, and he sends the greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Three people. Paul a Jew, a really educated Pharisee, someone who knows the law inside out, someone who had lived, and uh, probably a member of the Sanhedrin, rejected by his own people. And I rather suspect that Paul's heart was crushed. He had such a burden that the Jews would hear the message that he had. And there are three standing by him. Must have been so painful. And then these three, given given their love and support. You've got to love this one. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Epaphras, if you work it out, Epaphras would be the original pastor of the church at Colossae. And the next two names that we come up to, Laodicea and Erapolis. He's the church planter. He's the one who had gone a 1,300 mile trip to the Apostle Paul when his church came under heretic, a heretical attack 
and he wanted to know how to deal with it, to defend the people he loved. And he's, he's with Paul. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Alright? Anyone can send greetings. But what about that line? Wrestling in prayer. I go back to what I said at the beginning. In prayer meetings, we need to pray. We need somehow to wrestle with God. As individuals, and as a, as a body of believers. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. If you break the original language down, it's actually saying that Epaphras agonises in prayer. Ever been around someone who can pray like that? The only one I've ever met was Madge. I remember my first time I went to a prayer meeting with Madge. And he called it... Madge is a lady who died a few years ago. And I'm not being rude, but she was just like not the sharpest person to be around. And then she started to pray and you knew she'd got God on speed dial. And you just knew you were in the presence of someone who could talk to God. Talk to God, not on an educated level like I can. Not on a theological level like that, but just talk to Daddy. And you just felt like leaving the room, particularly if you were going second. Madge was one of those people that in a prayer meeting you always prayed first. Because she knew she'd cover everything else. Yeah, you know her, Paul. Well, Epaphras is one of those. In the will of God. Wrestling for people. Move on. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea in Hierapolis. Those are the three churches we believe that Epaphras planted and started. And just because he wasn't there, didn't stop him praying. Wrestling with God. Alright, we'll give you an easy one now. Our dear friend Luke. What do we know about Luke? A doctor? <laughs> Let's go a little step of faith. What does Luke do? He writes the Gospel of Luke. And what else does he write? Acts. This is the author. Right? A tremendous guy. One who was loyal to Paul. Travelled overseas with him. Travelled on missionary journeys. A Gentile. We know he's not a Jew. We know his occupation. We know that he loves Paul and supports him. The eighth one, Demas. Anyone want to have a stab at what Demas does? I know, because I mean, I've studied it, so it put you out in misery. Our dear friend Luke the Doctor and Demas send their greetings. Demas fails. He appears again in Timothy and Paul says he's deserted him. He's run away. And that's the last we hear of him. And that is a danger we can all do. That is a, something that all of us are capable of doing. It says actually in Timothy that Demas loved the world. And because he loved the world he went back into the world. 
And we can all do that. We all have to make the right choice. We all have to make the right decisions. And I don't mean once, I mean continually. Because there's someone who can be with Paul and see all that that happened in that ministry can suddenly turn around and say, do you know what? I don't want anymore. I want to turn my back on God and I want to walk away. God doesn't turn his back on Demas and I don't know. I don't know what happens next in his life. I just know this, that in Timothy, Paul says he's gone away. He's gone back into the world. I do know from the other people that if Demas comes to his senses and decides to return to God, then God says, you know what, I've been waiting. I've been waiting and now I can start to use you again. Now you're one of us. I don't know. Right. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha. What a name. The church in her house. Let's clarify what church actually is. Is church this building? What is church then? People. People. If you'd have said to them 2,000 years ago, actually, churches need a big building and all the sound and the, and the projectors and the guitars and all that, those sort of things, that's church. Because do you know what? The danger is in the West, that's what we make church. We are, we are de- in danger of doing that. You can go to some churches, I'm not knocking it, but listen to what I'm saying, you can go to some churches and unless it has certain things, people come away saying they haven't been to church. Really? God says church is in a house. Church is anywhere where a group of people meet together in his name. Where two or three are gathered, that's where I am. Not where a smoke machine is, or a song pro, or a guitar. Church. You can have church in your house. A building's great because A, it gives us space, it gives us protection from the weather, but this is not necessarily what church looks like. Next one. There's one more. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. The scholars who, who study this sort of stuff say it can be one of two things. There is either a missing letter that we don't have at the moment and therefore it's not part of the what's called the canon of scripture. Alternatively, and I favour this, it's the letter to the Ephesians. The most oldest manuscripts we have on the letter to the Ephesians do not have the word Ephesians in. And it's likely, I think, that the letter was going round a circle of different churches. It doesn't really matter. He's just telling them to change the letter round. That's great for us because I can take something that's written 2,000 years ago and say that was written to them, it's now written to us. I need that. I need to know that when he writes to somewhere like Colossae or the Corinthian church and calls them saints, that I can stand here and say, you're my saints. Not my saints, his saints. You're my brothers, sisters. Verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. How sad it is 
when people receive a ministry and ministry in the Lord is any work done for him, any work done for him, how sad when people don't complete what they start. How, how sad to start something in the name of Jesus and not complete it. But clearly, he was in danger of doing that. And he needed a reminder, do you know what? When it gets tough, it's not a reason to stop. It might be a reason to pray harder, but it's not a reason to stop. You all have a ministry which all requires you to complete it. Whatever that is. And then he ends the letter. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Picture this. Paul's habit of writing a letter was to have a scribe present. I'd rather imagine Paul walking around, perhaps not because he's in chains, but concentrating, trying to listen to what God is asking him to write or dictate, knowing the importance of what he's trying to get across, struggling to do it. No email, no text messages, nothing like that. A parchment being written and then to personalise it, it was his habit to say, right, I'll write the last lines from Paul to the church. You could say this, that was written to Colossae, it's written to you and I. What do you do with all the information that Paul put down 2,000 years ago? We will either embrace it and exalt Jesus. We'll either say, right, okay, when the going gets tough, I'll get going. I love him more for studying his word. Or you can do this. How strange. You see that church, Laodicea? It was bigger than Colossae. It had wealth. It had all the talents that it needed. Put the last scripture up for me, please, Graham. And look what God writes in Revelation. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the church that Paul wrote to. Write this. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, church in Laodicea, that you are neither cold nor hot. You're just lukewarm. God hates lukewarm. If you're cold, it's better than being lukewarm. But you should be neither. You should be hot. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Those are harsh words from God to a church. Those are not the words you want to hear from God. Why? Look what he says next. You say that I am rich and I have acquired wealth and you do not need a thing. Sometimes, you know, when we need something, that's when we're more spiritual than we've ever been. That's when we pray. That's when we're so in tune with God, when we have our needs. We're never more at risk than when we've got everything we need. Well, if I was God, I'd keep you, I'd keep you poor. I'd keep you on your knees. <laughs> I'd be sorry. 
but you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. How do you measure success? How do you measure success? It's not by what you have. I love the blessing of having all that we have. It thrills me. But that's nothing. That's the world's way of measuring success. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and wear and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. I want to get to verse 19 and 20. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Come back to me. And this is the indictment against the church of the Laodiceans. It's not an evangelistic message. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Who's knocking? Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus trying to get into church? (laughs) Some of you can. How sad that must be. How sad. I'm not saying he's doing that here. Don't, don't hear what I'm saying. But there was a time when the Laodiceans were walking with God. And then there was a time when they stopped walking with God. There was a time when Demas was walking with God. And then there's a time when Demas loved the world and went back into the world. If it can happen to a church and if it can happen to Demas, it frightens me that it can happen to me. And it should frighten me. But this is the invitation. Even though he's outside the church door, he gives them the hope. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He won't force his way in. He won't kick the door down. If anyone, and in the Greek that's anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in. I want to get in. I will come in if you invite me. Just come back. Just let me in. And eat with that person and they with me. I want to end it there. I want to draw the letter to a close. Our lives would be so much worse off without that letter written 2,000 years ago. There are things in that letter that are written nowhere else in the New Testament. And even his closing 18 verses where he writes the the names of people who stood by for the service of the gospel. Sometimes, you know when you're reading your Bible you can just skip through those boring bits at the end. None of you have ever done that, have you? No, of course not, no. None of you skipped the first nine chapters of One Chronicles, do you? You're in church, don't tell porkies. The future of New Hope Community Church is in your hands. We either have Jesus in, or we have Jesus out. You can do church, you see, you can, you can do song pro, you can do music, you can do talks. But none of it matters without him. Absolutely wasting your Sunday day if he is not in this room. And let me tell you this, just for clarification, when he's here, it's messy. And I love that. I really, really love that. 
And I want to be around where he's around. Can you say amen? Uh, Can we pray for the mess and the fun and the building work and all the other work that he calls us to do? Amen.